This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo, as we look back on the weekend's Community Shield tie at Wembley, with the Premier League season now just under two weeks away. Are Jurgen Klopp's Reds ready to defend their title, or does work lay ahead before Leeds make the visit to Anfield? Coming up, we'll get into that. We'll be looking into whether things didn't quite click for the Reds on Saturday, why that was, and which individuals impressed, and also who didn't. Plus, if Liverpool do look to the transfer market to remedy any concerns, concerns who and what will be top of Klopp's cop wish list alongside myself Guy Clark to get into all of that a three of the Echo's finest we tool Paul Gorst along for the ride Gorsty how are you not bad guys not bad um, what have we now under two weeks till it all begins again the proper stuff so looking forward to putting together any talk of pre-season fatigue and fitness and all that kind of stuff and we can get into real the real stuff Sean Bradbury also with us. And Sean, with the truncated pre-season, it feels this international break that's coming up this week is just sort of delaying the inevitable. We just want the action to return now, don't we? Uh, absolutely. It's 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 so bizarre, isn't it, this whole this whole thing? Even this the very fact that we're, we're talking about the Community Shield now, just, you know, having been this early in the season on, on the back of a Champions League final. I mean, I've, I've been off for five days, so I don't really even know what's going on anyway. So, yeah, this whole... This whole thing is just uh, is crazy and confusing. But yeah, I think it will all start to come into more normality and focus when that Leeds game rolls around. So yeah, yeah six, I'll wait for yeah. that now. Six days off the back of the Champions League final and then we've two weeks to wait till the start of the Premier League. Not normally sort of how you'd associate the Community Shield. Matt Addison's also with us. Matt, how are you? Yeah, very good. It's all very weird times, isn't it? The, the Champions League for next season started before this one had finished and all sorts of weird things going on. And yeah, the uh, international break is not the best time of the season. Let's put it that way for even in normal seasons, but particularly at this point, it, it just is the last thing that anybody wants. That certainly is. Well, let's get into the game then itself. And Gorsty, come to you first up. And Matt said the international break's the last thing anyone would have wanted. I suppose Liverpool losing the Community Shield probably ranks up there as well. It's not the most important game Liverpool will play through the course of the season. And albeit did actually draw inside 90 minutes, but the defeat on penalties doesn't sort of make it any easier to take, does it? No, it's, it's one of those, isn't it, where if you win it, you think, great, little bit of a... Trophy lift and, you know, Liverpool kind of just getting used to the habits of lifting trophies and that's never a bad thing. But it's one of those when you lose it, you you kind of shrug and think, oh, well, it's only a friendly anyway. So it's very much just, as Jürgen Klopp said on Friday, actually, it's very much just kind of how important you view it to be and, and that is is how important Liverpool see it. I mean, I, I don't think there was any, there'll be any too, too many disheartened when they came out of Wembley on, on Saturday evening in, in the Liverpool team bus. Um one of them, isn't it? Liverpool lost it last season and went on and won the league by 18 points. So uh, if, if we're looking at omens, then that's probably a perfect one. Yeah, and the, the working from home doesn't get any much easier, does it, either with the, the dog barking in the background? But Sean, it's come... on my dog, would you believe? <laughs> Sean, we'll uh, get into sort of the, the game in a bit and we'll talk, as I said at the top, about the individuals and where it sort of leaves Liverpool before the season. But remarkable coincidence to last season, which Gorsty said there, Liverpool lost the Community Shield and went on and won the league title by 18 points. They drew the game game 1-1 last year with Man City and lost 5-4 on penalties. I think it was the exact same minute as well in which they conceded the opening goal. So maybe we don't want to read all too much into this. 
Yeah, I, I agree with everything Frankie said there, by the way. Thought he was, uh, he was spot on. Um, no, yeah, you're, 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 absolutely, you're absolutely right. I think that's that's the one thing, isn't it? It's, I think it's far from a meaningless friendly, this game. Um, you know, you, you can tell that by the reactions of the players at the end and Klopp did the right thing, making sure they don't want to escape down the tunnel and they all, they all watched what, what just happened and, you know, Arsenal lifting the trophy and that type of thing. But, but yeah, it, it, it's got to be judged first and foremost by where it falls in the schedule. And, and as we've already said, for it to come even earlier than normal makes it an even stranger game than normal. You're absolutely right. It, it followed almost the exact same pattern as, as last season. And I think that speaks to what Klopp and his, and his bathroom staff put the players through at, at, at this time of year. You know, we, we've seen all the stuff from, from the training camp over in Austria. Um, and, and the club have said that the sessions they're doing now are, are more like early season sessions. It's not quite as intense and, and hard graft as all the, all the fitness stuff that normally needs to be done, obviously because of the situation we're in and with the much shorter gap between last season and next. But yeah, I, you still see those heavy legs. I think you, you saw it in the in the second friendly game, um, the one against Salzburg. You know, Liverpool found themselves 2-0 down very quickly and, and they came on strong in the second half. And, and as you said, Guy, that, that's exactly what happened in the Community Shield last year. I thought Liverpool were, were almost unlucky not to win that in 90 by... Um, in terms of the City game last season and you can almost make the case for, for that being the same on Saturday I was I was watching it in town and was um, a little bit disappointed at the end I'm, I'm not going to lie obviously penalty shootout heartbreak is never something you, you really want to see even though it's not a game of the of the biggest magnitude but, but to be honest the more I've reflected on it the more I've seen in the performance that was arguably positive I think you know we'll, we'll come on to the changes that were made in the second half and some individual performances but yeah overall I think it's 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 disappointing. It's annoying. Uh, you know the, the the players' faces told that story, but but yeah, you, you can't be making firm conclusions based on a game this early in the in the preseason. No, last preseason as well, Matt was quite similar in in many ways as well. Remember the, the games out in France and also Napoli at, at Murrayfield as well. Didn't all go Liverpool's way. And talking of those coincidences as well, even the penalty shootout was quite similar. 5-4 scoreline last year. Gini Wijnaldum missed. This year he was taken off just before the end. Rian Brewster came on for him. And unfortunately, of course, it was Brewster who missed again. But echoing really what Sean says there, that I suppose really for the Reds, they, they don't really want to be drawing all too many conclusions at this stage. No, I mean, it's not something that you would ever imagine Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp would ever make a knee-jerk reaction off the basis of one match. If Liverpool had won that penalty shootout, I'm sure the reaction from Liverpool fans and that sort of thing would have been slightly different. I don't think the performance was particularly worrying or concerning or anything like that. It's just a case of, you know, it was one of those games where on another day, some slightly different things. If Mohamed Salah had been a yard further in front on a couple of those crosses or, or something like that, we could be looking at it in a very different way, I think. So, look, the, the most important thing was that Liverpool got the extra minutes in their legs, got the extra preparation. They've come up against a team, which I think we are going to see a lot more of that. I mean, obviously, always teams sit back in a, a low block against Liverpool and it's something they're going to have to deal with more and more, I think, going into next season. But, look, it was an opportunity to play a few different players, have a little bit of an experiment. I know we're going to speak a little bit more about Takumi Minamino and, and a few individuals, but it was an opportunity, I think, for, for Liverpool to just try a few different things, have a go where it, it didn't particularly matter what the result was. And look, if, if anybody is concerned off the back of that, I mean, I, I would say you should really be thinking the opposite because you know, the, there are bigger games to come. There are far more important tests. And 
as you say, it was a, a similar sort of situation results-wise, not just in the Community Shield, but in pre-season as well, about 12 months ago. And we all know what happened in the season that followed. Yeah, Gorsley, on that point as well there that Matt makes in terms of sides sitting in a low block, I think when some of the sides maybe battling relegation or lower down in the, the Premier League come to Anfield and do that, you sort of expect it, but maybe not of a side, maybe quite like Arsenal, who in recent years, of course, Liverpool have had so much joy against up against what, what's effectively been an open gate in defence. Yeah, definitely. I think Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp before Saturday they played ten games and they scored over thirty goals. Um, okay, five of them were in the that crazy League Cup game in November, was it or October? But it's a sign of of Mikel Arteta kind of getting his ducks in a row and, and making Arsenal a little bit more solid to play against because for for years Liverpool strolled up and Arsenal thought they could be as expansive as, as they liked and more often than not, you know, came back to, to haunt them. Liverpool, I think, had won six of those ten games and. And there was three draws. Uh, the one defeat was was last month when Liverpool were already champions as well. So uh, I think it says a lot for kind of how Arteta is is um, is as a ta- as a tactical manager. He's he's very much got um, the squad he's got now. I'd, I'd say it's 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 short on star quality. Yeah, Emre Aubameyang is obviously the main man, isn't he? And um, around him on Saturday, there was just players who were willing to to dig in, work hard, and defend, and and you know give their all, especially when they went one them up. And, and that probably bodes well for them. It's a kind of template that they can draw on for, for the teams in the top six. But in terms of the build coming up against other teams in the top six next season, I don't think too many will be adopting it. I think, you know, the likes of Manchester United and, and, and Chelsea will back themselves to kind of attack Liverpool and, and see what they can get out, out of it themselves. Hopefully that will play into Liverpool's hands. We, we'll see. But I think um, maybe Arteta is kind of drawing that blueprint from going 2-1 up in, in July and, and, and it worked for them then, so it worked for them again um, last week. So um, I don't think too many will be copying it, but it certainly works for Arsenal at the moment. Yeah, certainly the case. And Sean, did we see then in that second half after the hour mark when Jurgen Klopp made his first two changes in which, of course, Nico Williams and James Milner came off and Naby Keita and Takumi Minamino came on, that that change of shape may be something we see again from Liverpool. We saw it, of course, in the the 18-19 season. Last year, though, we didn't really see much of a change of shape, but it was evident on on Saturday as soon as those substitutions were made. Yeah, you're quite right. There was there was that period, wasn't there, where I think get Fabinho bedded in and and to make use of Shakiri. We we saw it quite a few times, season before last. But yeah, last season I suppose there was really no kind of need to switch to it at all because things were just going so well. Especially you know initially in that first run of twenty odd games where pretty much every game was won. But yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it could be a sign of things to come that the personnel obviously obviously fitted it, and I think that's that's Liverpool's challenge this season, isn't it? It's how they how they move on and develop a successful plan B. Um, and, and I think there's going to have to be times when they're a little bit more aggressive about doing that from the start of the game, I think. Um, Arsenal, that it, it was interesting just going back to the, the point, um, talking about Arsenal's style. I think you know, what you lad said then was, was spot on. They were, I guess, quite defensive, but the, the actual goal itself was quite impressed with the way that they did that. You know, like playing out from the back, you're not, you're not going to get a lot of teams who will back themselves to do that against Liverpool. And I think that was kind of part of what um, caught Liverpool by surprise a little bit, but but yeah, the the four two three one it it made an instant difference really, didn't it? And, and there was that creativity deficit for Liverpool from the outset. Um, not not to knock Nico Williams, I actually think he had a had a reasonable game. I'm sure we'll we'll come on to him as an individual soon, but 
when you're without one of the first choice fullbacks from the start, you're depriving Liverpool of one of the two key playmakers in the team, really. And you know, Robertson did his best. He was he was absolutely fantastic. Could easily have had at least one assist. But it, it does just hamper Liverpool's style a little bit. And I think if, if you haven't got one of those guys, you, you, Liverpool do need to think about Liverpool, the midfield a little bit differently. Um, yeah, and, and that, that switch was hugely effective. Got got plenty out of Minamino, as, as, as again, I'm sure we'll come on to. So, yeah, uh, we haven't seen it for a season, but I, I'd be surprised if in the first couple of months of this campaign, we didn't see it a few times. Yeah, and that point Sean makes there, Matt, I'm needing a plan B. It is something, I suppose, in the next step of the evolution for Liverpool, as opposed to just staying with what they've got. The squad hasn't changed all too much. So I suppose Jurgen Klopp will look to need to evolve it from within, whether that be young players coming in and making an impact or whether it be tweaking something tactically. Yeah, I suppose that's where the argument that a lot of fans would say, well, you've got to go out and got to spend money and, and bring in new players and make transfers and do that sort of thing. I suppose that is kind of where it stems from. It's about not standing still. It's about changing and making sure that you know teams can't look back at, at last year and try and work you out almost. But you know, I, th- I think that is a, a way for Liverpool to do that. We didn't see a huge amount of, of Takumi Minamino uh, last season when we did. He came in, in in bits and pieces, but didn't really have a, a sustained run in the side. And it would be interesting if, you know, Jurgen Klopp did start to use him a little bit more from the start. Obviously, it's very early days. We don't know how much confidence he'll gain from that goal over the weekend, how much of a difference that could make. But, you know, fingers crossed, it is sort of the, the mark which we look back on in a similar way to, I think, Andy Robertson had that game, didn't he, against Manchester City after a few months of being at Liverpool. He'd impressed in, in little bits and pieces, but that was the, the point that you really look back on and think that's where he kicked on. If we can sort of look back at that game against Arsenal as, as Minamino's version of that, potentially, you know, over the next few months, he could be like a new signing as much as you don't want to use that phrase. So, I suppose it, it just gives Liverpool a, a different tactical option. And if, if it gives, you know, opposition teams something else to think about, if, you know, Jurgen Klopp was to, to start with that 4-2-3-1 type thing, for example, it would just bring a little bit of a surprise and, and give Liverpool a, a little bit of a tactical edge. So I think it's certainly something to watch out for. I think it's probably why Minamino was brought in to be able to change things tactically and move things on a little bit with that in mind. And, you know, whatever happens over the next few months, I think, you know, not every team is going to be as well set up as what Arsenal were. I think against, you know, most Premier League teams, if Liverpool played as well as what they did over the weekend, the result probably would have been a bit different. So it's not a case of a knee-jerk reaction and, and changing because Liverpool didn't play well. It's more a case of can they improve and, and try and keep ahead of the curve as they have been over, well, probably over the last two or three seasons, really. Yeah, let's get into a few of the, the individual performances then. I suppose Takumi Minamino is the best place to start, Gorstin. I, I suppose he showed coming off the bench, actually, that he can coexist with Salah, Firmino and Mane all on the pitch at the same time because in the fleeting appearances we've seen of him so far, so often he's been either playing in one of those wide forward roles or the Firmino number nine role, whereas he came on on, on Saturday and he was sort of given a, a new role and a role of his own and he looked at home in it. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to, to kind of gauge too much from a positional sense because Liverpool were kind of just throwing everything at it, weren't they? Obviously, brought on Navigator on top of Minamino and left the full three on. So I think it was just desperately searching for that equaliser. I knew that Arsenal were content to sit in with, with at least 10 behind the ball. So um, couldn't draw too much from that. But what, what you can draw is the fact that he looked lively and inventive and 
um, he looked looked like a player, didn't he? You know, something we've only seen in, in very tiny bursts at the moment since he joined from Salzburg in, in January. And I think Klopp hit the nail on the head on Friday when he said um, he's coming into the, the team who were kind of going hell for leather for the Premier League title. Um, and then he has that tough adaptation period when he's working, training from home for, for three months on his own, doesn't really speak the language, can't really go out, and it, it's just been a very difficult time for him. So hopefully with the pre-season under his belt, with the rest of his teammates, we can start to see a little bit more of, of why Liverpool have, have made him a Liverpool player. And um, Still not sure where he's best suited, if, if I'm honest. Um, I think he can play in a number of roles, and that bodes well for times when, when there is time to rest and rotate and, and we'll see where, where he kind of fits in. It, it's going to be an interesting subplot to the season coming, I think. But um, as far as his own individual displays go, it, you know, it does look a little bit more promising. Yeah, I suppose that's the next step for Minamino, Sean, is whether he's going to become a first name on the team sheet. We're yet to, to wait and see whether his performances will force Jurgen Klopp to change the formation on a more regular basis. Again, we'll we'll have to wait and see, but I suppose it's more about nailing down that position rather than being the jack of all trades. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely fair. I think I think you guys have got it spot on, really. He's it, it, uh, obviously delighted for him with the goal and, and kept his nerve in the shootout as well, didn't he? And it, just his general play in that half hour was, was very positive. And I think like Matt said, it, it it's a reference point for him now. It's something tangible that he can look back on and, and say that he's finally arrived. I think after the game, Van Dyke was talking about him and said, you know, it feels like he's come out of his shell now, which I thought was you know, an, an interesting comment that they must have seen a lot of him in training and been impressed by him. And now finally he's had... I say decisive impact. It was, it was almost a decisive impact, wasn't it? He, he did his part, but yeah, it, it's something to, to, to just be proud of and build on now. And and as the guy said, we've seen it with Robertson, we've seen it with Fabinho. It, you need this six months or so of tactical and physical acclimatization to, to what it is to play for Jurgen Klopp, really, because it's you know it's this all-encompassing holistic style of of bending as a team, attacking as a team. I think. I, if, if I'm honest, I, I maybe thought Minamino when he signed had a slight advantage coming from a, a team who were, you know, quite relentless. Obviously, what we saw of Salzburg in that game where where he starred at Anfield, and maybe thought could he could he make an impact a little bit sooner. But I think uh, as you guys touched upon though, last season it was it was so hard to change things. You know, the the, the momentum was was just relentless, and he did only get flashes, didn't he? Really, he had had his little cameo, I suppose. It, I had a half hour against Newcastle, didn't he, after the restart, which I think was pretty good. But yeah, most of the time he's he's been given the fairly thankless task of being asked to be a Roberto Firmino tribute act up, up front in the middle, which is there's not really a harder job. I don't think in, in the Liverpool team when you when you're not really accustomed to doing that, you know, you've got to do everything, haven't you? You're leading the press, bringing others into play, being an attacking threat yourself. Uh, so yeah, hopefully now if, if if there is a little bit more tweaking of the formation, um, if there's space for him there in between the lines a little bit. I think he, he could really thrive. Yeah, and he does seem to thrive in those half spaces, doesn't he, Matt? Not really in either wing or... He came on, obviously, at the weekend and it looked initially as though he was going to play in part of a midfield three, but then he, he plays a bit more advanced than that. He picked up some good positions and has has to be said, he took the goal nicely. A lot of people would say, well, you'd expect him to score that, but Mane had a couple of chances in the game, snatched at them and wasn't able to take them. Minamino kept his cool and got the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, it was a, a really nice finish and, like Sean said, a, a nice goal for the, the penalty as well. I thought when he stepped up, it was almost like, you know, he he really needed to score that penalty because we could almost be back at square one if he makes a mess of it. So, thankfully, he managed to, to keep his cool and 
I think, yeah, he, it could be a, a really big day for him. I think we've seen him play through the middle. We've seen him play on the left. Part of the attraction that, that Liverpool went and, and spent the money, as, as much as it was a, a small fee, they, they obviously had their reasons for, for doing that beyond the fact that it was a bargain. And one of those was that he can play in a number of different roles. I think at some point you do have to decide which one is he going to be in long term and, and sort of coach him to play specifically in, in one or two of those roles. So, Perhaps that is the area that, that Liverpool have got their eyes on, on that left-hand side, if they don't bring anybody else in. Potentially, you know, could we see some sort of tactical development where maybe Salah goes through the middle and, and Mane goes to the right, he's on the left, something like that. You know, the, There's lots of options that he brings to the table, but it's just a case now of making sure that if he's performed well in that role, he's confident playing in that role and it clearly works. Next week, you don't want him to then be in a completely different role and, and start from the, the beginning again. So it's a case almost, as it always is with Liverpool, of, of momentum and, and making sure that you do the right things at the right time. And I think for, for Minamino now, it's just a case of, of building on that, not taking it too quickly. And you know, hopefully the start of the season isn't too long away for him now. I think it would have been ideal if the first match of the season was was this coming weekend. Unfortunately, as we've said, that's not the case. But you know, fingers crossed he can make a, a little bit of an impact in the first couple of matches. And, you know, given what he did at the weekend, you wouldn't be surprised if maybe he gets a start in, in one of those first two or three matches. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Big tick in the box of Takumi Minamino then. And I suppose maybe a bit harshly, but a question mark put over Nico Williams, Gorsty. Maybe not so much a reflection of Nico Williams' performance himself, but more just how relentless and how impressive Trent Alexander-Arnold is and how he should never be taken for granted. Yeah, no no, no question marks over Nico Williams. I think it's, it's harsh if, you, if you're judging him that way. He's up against Arsenal's star man, is he? Up on the left, one of the world's best players, one of, one of the best strikers in the Premier League. So he'd, he'd give anyone a, a tough day, not least someone who was making just his third, third Liverpool start, I think. Um, and it, as you say, it just shows kind of how influential Trent Alexander-Arnold is on that right side. It almost kind of made Arsenal think that they didn't have to worry too much about, about that right-hand side and, and just focus on getting as many bodies shifted over to the other side You know, for Andy Robertson, who, who played well, particularly first half. But his crosses were just being met time and again by Arsenal defenders who knew that they could sit inside their own six-yard box and, and clear those all day because Liverpool don't have the kind of attack who were going to kind of win headers and... and you know, if you don't have a typical number nine, do they? So, um, it, I mean, losing, I think Jamie Carragher called it last season, you know, having Trent Alexander-Arnold is Kevin De Bruyne at right back. So losing that, you know, a player that good is always going to impact on you. And, and so it showed. Um, is, unfortunately, that's just a, that's just what happens when you lose one of your best players. Um, I don't think it's any massive slight on Williams and he will improve and get better as the season goes on. But um, there's no question when... Trent doesn't play that Liverpool lose quite a lot of um, creativity. And I suppose, Sean, then that creativity void that's left when Trent doesn't play, you've still got, as we've already alluded to, Robertson flying down the left flank, but then you're looking for the midfield to step up, which we mentioned Minamino when he came on and really played in a forward role, but Liverpool were lacking that. It seemed somewhat bizarre, therefore, that James Milner in the end ended up starting over Naby Keita because he has looked good in pre-season, Keita. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that that is a fair shout. I suppose it's a difficult one, isn't it, for a, for a game? Like we said, it's, it's it's not just a meaningless friendly. It was a significant one. I can understand the thinking of having Milner's experience out there, uh, especially on that side 
of, of the pitch where where Williams is. Um, but yeah, it's it's a bit like Matt was saying before about Minamino. I think Cater the next step for both of them, and and it's an interesting question whether you can do this with both of them at the same time. Is it's just games, isn't it? it? It's a run of games and and a, a proper period of time for fans and I suppose even Klopp and and his backroom staff to see whether they are capable of of taking Liverpool, if not to the next level, at least giving them something different that will will just pose a, a different question and a different challenge to to opposition teams, but. Yeah, just just to go back to Williams, I, I I thought he got it a little bit unfairly in the neck, for, not not from a lot of people, but saw a bit of criticism, you know, for for the goal itself. But like we were saying before, I think that was that was such a slick and, and I'd say quite unexpected passage of play from Arsenal. Almost, you know, they got it got it down the right nicely and and rapidly, switched it very quickly, and then straight away uh, Williams is faced with uh, obviously Abamyang coming at him. I think someone was on the overlap as well, weren't they? But it was it perhaps. Tierney going going down the side, so he kind of had two people to deal with. There was then you know what one out of them had to make a decision as to whether he he trapped the runner who was going into the box or the he come across and help him a little bit. And yeah, it it, it was difficult. And obviously, you don't want a Bamiyang shooting from anywhere, even like the very edge of the box. But still, don't think it's necessarily a shot that that goes in more often than not. You know, he was unlucky. And even in an attacking sense, there was that one chance. Probably Liverpool's best chance in the first half, the Milner header. I think that that came from a from a Williams cross, didn't it? So, you know, he, in in a slightly different circumstances, he could have come out the game with a clean sheet and an assist. You know, it, it's it, these things are fine margins, but yeah, it, hopefully he'll learn from that. And it's good in a way that he's he's had a bit of experience over the over these past few weeks while Trent's been out. He's been able to play as part of a, an otherwise first choice defence. And I think you know, but but for one moment, albeit quite a crucial one. He's, he's looked the part. Uh, you know, he, he's built on all those cameos we saw him impressively make last season, especially in the cup, where you know you thought there's, there's a player here, and you know we, we even spoke about it on the pods. You, even obviously, it's very early to say this, but you started thinking, well, could he be the natural heir to Trent Alexander-Arnold that, that lets him, that lets Trent go forward into midfield, and that that's still one for the future. But but yeah, I think Williams will will learn from this this little spell of games, and, and he'll certainly learn from Saturday. Yeah, and easy not to forget, Matt, that Trent Alexander-Arnold didn't have the easiest of times blooding into the Liverpool side. We all remember, of course, what happened at, at Old Trafford with him. Yeah, I think perhaps some of the uh, defensive troubles that Trent had were slightly exaggerated at times. But, of course, it, it's something that he has improved over the years. And you'd imagine that Nico Williams is going to do a similar sort of thing. I mean, just on the, the fact that Aubameyang shot from the outside of the box, I think I'm right in saying that Alisson has only been beaten from outside the area once or twice for, for Liverpool. So, you know, it's one of those where on another day it could have been saved. We could be talking about him, you know, in, in a very different way. And, I just think the the sort of scrutiny on him isn't exactly helpful. I think going forward, I think Nico Williams is going to be a really crucial player for, for Liverpool to sort of be able to rest or, or rotate Trent Alexander-Arnold at times, but not change the style and, and the way that Liverpool play, I think is, is crucially important. It's, you know, the exact same reason why it's so important that Costas Shimikas has, has come in on the other side because, you know, you need sort of players there to sort of help push on the first choice players but also to deputize and, and do a similar sort of job when they're not available so yeah Nico Williams I wouldn't be at all worried I think going forward you know it, it's just one of those things on the day Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang one of the, the best players in the league at this moment in time got the better of him but you know, that's not a slight on his ability he can do that to even he could have easily done it to Trent Alexander-Arnold or, or any of the, the top right backs so 
yeah, it's it's just one of those things, and you almost don't want to talk about it and go over it too much because that almost puts the the pressure on him even more to make it different next time. But look, I'm sure he will improve and, and get better and you know, take the the opportunities that he gets this season. Yeah, we'll talk transfers shortly. But before we do that, we've spoken about the evolution of the squad, certainly maybe going forward. But Gorster, we also saw it defensively in Jurgen Klopp's thinking in the squad he's got at the moment at the weekend when that change was made, that Fabinho did slot into a defensive position and just wanted to get everyone's views on that. He's a player who's played in defensive positions, whether it be for Brazil or Monaco in the past. But uh, I think there's a bit of maybe unease of Fabinho having to be the fourth choice option in defence. Yeah, I don't, I don't like it one bit, if I'm honest. I don't see why you'd possibly take out one of, the, one of your best midfielders, one of the best defensive midfielders in the Premier League and throw him in a position that he's not accustomed to. Um, it just seems pointless to me. It's like saying you've got Sadio Mane there who's having a whale of a time on the left side of the attack and then you think, oh, let's let's stick him in a number six just because we haven't got anyone else. It just doesn't really make sense for me and I, I just think Liverpool really do need a, a senior four-choice centre-back to come in. Someone on, on one of our Q&As last week actually summed it up perfectly. That they were saying Liverpool need an almost Clavan-esque four-choice and I think someone like him would, would be absolutely ideal, wouldn't he? An experienced pro coming in accepts that they're gonna they're not gonna be playing every week, comes in at a relatively low fee, um, and just plays as and when and, and it's dependable. I do think that is something that Liverpool needs to address. Um okay, they've got the best part of five weeks to do that, but they've only got two well less than two weeks before the season starts and Joel Matip is still injured. Um so if anything happens for Gomez or Van Dijk, um then Liverpool are left with a big decision does I mean we've seen Billy Cometti was on the bench, wasn't he? He's a seventeen year old youngster who obviously not played any senior games and while there is a, a bit of excitement around them, it's far too, mu- too much now to be asking him to fill in and do the role that Dale Lovren did last season. So for me, it, it's, a, it's a major concern for Liverpool this, this, well, not even summer anymore, is it? But uh, I hope it can be resolved because I don't I don't like seeing Fabinho shunted out of central midfield to fill in as a four-choice centre-back. It just kind of affects two positions, really. Yeah, and I suppose with Matip's injury record, he's, he's less of a fourth-choice defender than really third and a half, I suppose, with the, the amount of time that Matip spends on the sidelines. The transfer window then closes five weeks today, Sean, so we'll be ready for a late one at Echo HQ or working from home as it, as it probably will be at that stage. But I suppose centre-back is an issue that Liverpool need to address and they only need to look at Man City's title defence last season to realise that if you don't address that central defensive issue, then... It only takes one or two injuries for it really to, to come home and roost. Uh, absolutely. And I couldn't agree more with Gorsley. I think the whole Fabinho thing is it, it's weird. It's it's if he was the fifth the fifth option, you know, if you had if you had four, if you bring in this fourth one and he's the one who has absolutely emergency cover can come in and do the job, then yeah, I'd be okay with that. But it as as Paul says, it, it downplays his significance as a defensive midfielder. I mean, how how long did Liverpool wait? Probably since Mascherano, to have an elite specialist in that position. You know, I think you can argue, well, you can argue this about a lot of players, Van Dijk, Allison, whoever you want, take take your pick up front. But he was one of the, he's one of the most transformative signings of under Jurgen Klopp, I'd say. Um, you know, Henderson was was good in that position, uh, much maligned, I think, in, in certain seasons in recent years. But Fabinho's unlocked his ability to go and play further forward and offer even more to the team, I'd say, as, as more of an eight than a six. 
Um, yes, yeah, so, so to talk about shunting him back to centre half on a kind of semi regular basis and then having to reconstitute the midfield, I, I, I think is crazy. And, and, and as Gorsley said as well, youngsters, Seth Vandenberger, that I don't think looks kind of physically quite there yet. Um, Billy Cometio, you know, perhaps does, but as he got the nous and the experience you, you need and require from playing and dealing with different types of attackers and just becoming a bit more wily, you know, that, that's. That's probably years away, you'd say, for for, for a centre half. Um, so yeah, I I think it, it is without a doubt the most pressing transfer need. Um, and and as Gorsty says, I think one one astute signing of someone who's got that bit more experience and a few more seasons under their belt could could quite easily solve it. Someone like Clavan is is absolutely what Liverpool need. Yeah, it might not be the glamour signing, but uh, as Gorsty said, uh, Ragnar Klavan to come in at, at Liverpool, it would be ideal, mate. It would be the the sort of player they need, because even if you think of someone like Keanu Hoover, who's come in and we have seen in the first team, when we've seen him more recently, he's always been playing at, at right back at first team level. Yeah, that's it. I think Liverpool do need a short-term option because they've got these three highly rated players, Cometio, Hoover and, and Vandenberg, who are probably all at least, you'd say, two years away from being ready to, to be that fourth choice. I mean, Cometio was obviously impressed. He's the name that's on everyone's lips. But even if he was ready and, and Jurgen Klopp was ready to make him the fourth choice centre-back, if he was to come in and, and play with Van Dijk, you'd then have to play him on the left and, and move Van Dijk across to the right side of, of centre-half. So even that would be dis- disrupting the, the sort of back line. So I just don't think that's going to be the case. Um, I think if Liverpool don't sign anyone, it is going to be Fabinho. And, and that is, you know, as the lads have said, a, a massive concern really for me because Manchester City is the classic example. We've all sort of compared Liverpool and, and Manchester City's transfer strategy. And we've said for, for months how, you know, Liverpool are, are doing things the right way. They spend money on the right players. They plan things with such meticulous detail. It would seem really strange then to use a player like Fabinho in that position rather than go out and, and find someone to buy. So look, there's still five weeks left of the transfer window. Fingers crossed Liverpool do do something because I do think it would be an error really. It, it would certainly be at, at the very least taking a, a massive gamble when you don't really need to at this stage. Liverpool are, are Premier League champions. There's no reason for them not to, to go and get someone just as a, a short-term option because otherwise you are effectively just taking the risk that someone like Joe Gomez or, or Joel Matip, who do not have the best injury record, whether it's you know little things, whether it's longer things in the case of Joe Gomez that haven't really been sort of niggling injuries, but have been there, there's, there's no doubt about it. it. It would just seem a massive risk and, and one that could very easily backfire next season. Yeah, I think you're taking a gamble. It's certainly the phrase we don't really see Liverpool do it. But looking elsewhere in the squad then, Gorsty, of where Liverpool might look to to do business, Ishmael Assar has been a man who's been linked and would obviously perhaps offer depth in the forward areas. Of course, we know about the Thiago Alcantara links in the midfield. But do Liverpool still need someone who, whether it be a forward and a midfield player or just either or, someone who can add extra creativity and flair to the squad in, in a different way because they didn't create all too many chances other than what Robertson did at the weekend. No, I do think they do need a, a kind of versatile forward. Um, I mean, let's face it, had COVID-19 not, not struck, then they might have pursued a deal for Timo Werner who very much would have been the ideal one for so many people. But 
um, that will still need someone in that position just because, you know, obviously they might not necessarily have the funds to do it. Uh, it doesn't mean that they don't, don't need it. And I think that was probably summed up on Saturday, wasn't it, with the fact that they weren't really creating too much. So, um, Liverpool still, for me, do need someone like that, someone who can play in a number of positions across that front three. Ismail Asar, uh, I was told, is someone who, who is kind of being looked at, but not. Uh, I wouldn't be expecting them to make a move tomorrow. Um, you know, we'll wait and see what happens with that over the next few weeks. Um, and we've we've still got Jared and Chikari there, haven't we? You know, you can you can say he he could be like a new signing. And, I think everyone would groan if, if that was the phrase trotted out by Jürgen Klopp, but he's someone who's barely played all season. He hasn't played, I think he's played about five minutes since January. Um, and someone who possibly might have his own personal point to prove if he stays beyond that October 5th deadline. So um, we'll, we'll wait and see. But I, for me, I, I do think even if Shakiri stays and, and he, he kind of says all the right noises about looking to kind of kick on and and put last season behind them. Personally, I do think Liverpool still do need someone who can play across that front three in a number of positions. But the issue, as it ever seems to be, is can they afford that at this stage? Yeah, I suppose picking up Gorsty's point there, Sean, we, we spoke about Fabinho, said that was a concern if Liverpool go into the season with him as the fourth choice defender. Is it a concern then the level of the drop-off between Mane, Salah and Firmino in that, those forward areas as to who the backup currently is I mean Rian Brewster's looked good during preseason, but he has only scored well he has only got 20 odd games at second tier level under his belt he's hardly sort of a, a proven option if one of those forward players were to be out for for any time and I suppose the financial side of things after Liverpool have waited so long to win this league title they wouldn't want to not put up much of a fight in a title defence without wanting to, to scaremonger and be too doom and gloom at the end of this podcast no, I think it's a fair point. I mean, I'd, I'd still say centre-back would, for me, be the, the most pressing transfer priority. But then, yeah, I think it's then about what is the quickest and, and best way to having an effective plan B. And, you know, as, as both guys have said, I'll make it a hat-trick and, and use the like and you sign and shout myself. Because I, I do think there are genuine signs that Keita and Minamino now have, have got momentum behind them and can be used in, in more effective ways by Liverpool this season. Um, and, and, you know, the, the formation switch, as we've discussed, which did look really good in that last half hour, I think is a genuine different option. And then I think that puts the the, the issue of kind of depth across the forward line into slightly different focus because obviously the formation is a little bit different then and the, the players are, you know, playing slightly different roles. But I, I think, yes, yeah, so, someone who could be a genuine replacement for either of the wide forwards, I think that would be the one that, that, I, that I'd look to do. And I think Saar is the name who's been put out there who you feel could come in and most readily do that. Um, I think Brewster's an interesting one as well, though, as a, obviously that's a slightly different thing. He'd, he'd be playing in the middle. But especially if there was more of a 4-2-3-1 thing and, uh, you know, it, it maybe is, is slight deficiencies in terms of doing that Firmino role and, and bringing other people into the game. Uh, you know, that... Klopp said in recent weeks, hasn't he, how he, how he wants Brewster to develop that side of his game and, you know, be more than a goal scorer, which we all know that he is. But maybe, you know, if, if he was an option coming in as the focal point of an attack in a 4-2-3-1, that might be slightly different and that might do him a little bit better. Um, but I, I just think this is one of them where we've, we've got to trust to, to Klopp and his backroom staff because there'll be absolutely no doubt that one of the things, first and foremost, in their minds would have been how can we make Liverpool 
a different proposition next season. You know, if, if teams are going to turn up to Anfield and know a little bit more about what to expect, um, then then yeah, I think I think there will be there will be something that will be done and decided on whether it is you know a new recruit or a more fulsome commitment to a slightly different formation. Um, yeah, there'll, there'll, there'll be a proper plan being in place by by the time the season kicks off. I'd say. Yeah, I thought for a moment you were going to say that the switching formation was going to be like a new signing then, which, uh, yeah, I thought you were going to roll that one out, but you didn't. But Matt, I suppose whether it is a change of formation or whether it is backup for the front front three needed, that even one of those two things, Liverpool probably would need an extra forward player coming in regardless. Yeah, you would think obviously that is something that's probably on the agenda, but I think, you know, any arrival probably... Depends on one or two players leaving. Obviously, we've seen Zedan Shakiri is at the club. If he was to leave next season, uh, there's almost an argument that you wouldn't need to replace him because he played so few minutes last season. So it's a case of not having too many players as well. I mean, obviously, it comes down to affordability, but it's also about squad size. We know that Jurgen Klopp likes to have a relatively tight group. He doesn't want to have loads of excess players around the edge. And it's just a case of, of balancing that, I think, as well as the sort of finances of it. I think, you know, you look in midfield, there's not really been any progression on on a deal for Marco Gruic, as far as I'm aware, you know, leaving the club at this stage. Obviously, they've put a price tag on him. I think they would be open to, to him potentially departing, but, you know, there's a good chance that he may well still be there. So then would you go out and, and sign another midfielder when you've already got him added to the group already? Of course, probably the answer is no. So, I think it, it depends really on one or two outgoings. We've seen links with Divock Origi and, and players like that that we've discussed plenty of times. And we're still not quite sure what the future will hold for, for Rian Brewster, whether it will be another loan or whether he'll stick around for the next season. So I think it, it depends on that as much as anything. You know, I think it's obvious really that a lot of Liverpool fans and, and probably the club as well would accept that there are better backup options available for that front three and probably backup options for, for different areas of the pitch as well. But it's a case of, of balancing out that jigsaw of, of the squad. And at the moment, I think it's very difficult for, for Liverpool to get the money that they would have wanted, the suitors that they would want for plenty of those players on the edge of the squad. You think of not just Shakiri, not just Origi, but someone like Harry Wilson as well. You'd imagine you know several Premier League clubs would have been in the race for him this summer. But it doesn't look like that's going to be the case, certainly not at the same price tag that Liverpool would have wanted. So it's a case of, of not just balancing the books, but balancing the players as well. So it's a, a really, really difficult situation, I suppose, mainly caused by COVID-19. Yeah, final point before we go, Gorsty, on what Matt says there. We read daily, basically, the interest in Harry Wilson, but Premier League clubs not really willing to pay that £20 million valuation that's currently on him. But when you think of the likes of Wilson, Shakiri, and Gruwich, who are all still at the club, plus Lovren, who probably went for a bit cheaper than Liverpool, were probably hoping to do a deal at. It, it really is a case of the the virus, the lockdown, all really sort of hampering Liverpool's transfer business because we've seen so much in recent years how Liverpool like to sell to then recruit and you can't really knock it because it's worked so well for Liverpool. Yeah, I think out of those three, I think Grooch is probably the one who Liverpool might look to to most forcibly move on. I think that central midfield area is pretty packed, isn't it? Richie Carey, um, obviously there was interest from Sevilla and Roma in January and Sold at the time that 25 million was the going rate this summer, although they wanted to keep them at the time because it was all hands on deck. That's probably changed significantly, hasn't it? And Liverpool probably think now 
if an offer doesn't come in, they'd be happy to keep him, keep an experienced international player on the books and, and he could have a role to play. And with Wilson, again, it's, it's probably a case of he's had a, a good season in the Premier League with Bournemouth. Um, if there's no buyer for come on, then he'll probably look to to try and give him a, a bit more senior experience in the first team. But I wouldn't expect Harry Wilson to be a, a massive kind of impact player for Liverpool next season. I do still think that Liverpool will look to kind of offload all three of those players behind the scenes and then look at, uh, you know, what the budget would stand at even when all three do go. But um, it, I think if you don't, then you're going to have to kind of, certainly in the case of Shakiri and Wilson, you know, look to kind of give them give them games wherever they can. Yeah, interesting to see how it does all then play out. As we said before, five weeks left to go of the summer transfer window, less than two weeks until the Premier League gets underway. That's all from us here, though, on Monday's edition of the Blood Red podcast. Thanks from myself, Guy Clark, Paul Gorst, Sean Bradbury and Matt Addison also with us. Do remember to check out the uh, link in the description of the podcast to the twice daily Liverpool Echo newsletter. Also head over to the website to keep your eye on the daily transfer blog. If anything happens, of course, it will be right there for you. But as I say, from us here at Blood Red, thanks for your time and company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.